This is Locked on Gamecocks. Dr. Rick Sanford with us, former Gamecock. Sweetie's here with you, and so much is happening. The last time we were together, we were going over what Ray Tanner had to say, and this is the first time we've had Rick back on. And and Rick, even though... uh, you know, you didn't go to six years of medical school. You were a practicing chiropractor all those years. So we can talk a little bit about what COVID-19 is and, and why that it's affecting our sports world so much. So what what's, what was your kind of initial reaction uh, to all of the events being canceled and them trying to keep people away from each other? Well, you know, it, it's naturally, it's disappointing, Smitty. If you're a sports fan, it's, you know, it's it's hard to find sports right now. That's why I think ESPN is doing a pretty good job with their sports coverage because there's not any sports to cover. Uh, but uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I, although I was disappointed, I was very in tune with what the experts were saying, and I think they are exactly right, that it was uh, uh, the things that they are doing to try to stop the spread of this virus is uh, absolutely necessary. And, um, you know, while it may, you know, cause us some, you know, some problems uh, and and some grief for a while, the long-term outlook is way better if people will just follow the directions of what the experts are saying. You know, something that struck me, Rick, and I wanted your opinion on this, I, I thought they were kind of on the right track when they were going to allow certain uh you know maybe athletes to play against each other although i don't know basketball's one where if you're touching the same basketball and the ref has you know has a cold you could catch that cold potentially so that that was one consideration do you think that's what led to this why they went so far not just banning spectators not just banning the fact that we can't all get together but going so far as to saying you can't play baseball or softball or basketball against each other well, I think the NBA took a monumental step, you know, when uh, Rudy Gomer uh, 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 tested positive uh, for the for the virus. And when that happened, I thought it was just Adam Silver made the absolute uh, uh, absolute positive decision of shutting down the NBA. I, I don't think there was I don't think he had a, a, a choice to at that point, Smitty. And then. Uh, why I think that the NCAA was watching to see, well, who's going to take the first step? Because we know they never take the first step with anything. Uh, but uh, I, I think they, they understood that we have to do it as well. So, you know, I, I think all although we're inconvenienced uh, with no sports uh, or no, no current uh, present-day sports, you know, we can always watch all the other sports uh, that has been out there uh, from the past and replays. I think the, what what happened with the NBA set everything in motion. I don't think it's any doubt that Adam Silver uh, should be applauded for what he did. And uh, although you know the long-term effects uh, from this is going to be very interesting to watch, uh, particularly the uh, the you know the, the loss of businesses and and those type of things because the economic downturn of this is going to be brutal in my opinion. Well, and I, I would agree with that, but let's focus on maybe like football because mm-hmm. spring practice is going to be interrupted. So how, how would that affect? So, you know, you were at South Carolina, you were playing and, and of course football has changed a little bit and I think freshmen are probably more ready to play, but what do you think? What if there were no spring practice, for instance, and you kind of had to get together in July? I mean, h- how would that, could that maybe slow down the impact of some freshman players not getting that spring? 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. And uh, as a matter of fact, I had a chance to see uh, Coach Buddy Pugh from South Carolina State the other day and sat and talked with him just about this same question you're talking about. Uh, and Buddy, quite frankly, says, Rick, if I don't have spring football, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to be able to even field a team that I can feel confident in, you know, which players are go- that I'm going to be able to put out on the field. Uh, because the evaluation process is pretty much over for this year. You know, if they have to start back in September, you can't go through spring practice. Uh, Again, there is no spring practice, obviously. So uh, I thought he made an excellent point in saying, I don't know what my team's going to look like. And I I think that maybe this is going to be the great equalizer for the NCAA next year in that somebody's I would think that if you, you're a very, very talented team, you probably have an advantage over a lot of these other teams that are not able to, you know, play play your younger guys right now and, and take a look at them and see how they can help your, help your club. I don't even know if this is possible, but I think, I think at this point everything's possible and nothing's off the table. What about getting back to school, almost like letting, you know, saying, okay, we, since we had all this wiped out, we'll let your team get together in June, you know, and let you guys just mm-hmm. have, you know, almost like a, a, a training camp before you even get going for fall practice. Well, that's, you know, that would certainly be a viable option, I think, for uh, the NCAA. You know, the, the, the point is, would the NCAA – uh, do something like that. I, I'm not sure they would. I, I, because every decision, as you well know, is it seems like there's no rhyme or reason what they do, when they do it, and how they do it. So uh, it's it, it, to me, I, that seems practical. Uh, but you know, anything that ever seems practical, they don't seem to follow. So let's, you know, I think that's a wait and see type, type thing right there. And you know, you know, staying on the Gamecocks. I think somebody it could hurt specifically would be Marshawn Lloyd, right? Because I, 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 all the early reports through nine practices were, wow, what athleticism, look at the moves of this guy. But unfortunately, he won't get that spring practice, not just for the evaluation from the coaches. He won't get that time with his teammates and the playbook and all of that. I mean, I, I'm not saying, look, for years, Herschel Walker didn't have a spring. Remember him? I mean, he would have come from high school and then gone right yeah. into the fall. Yeah. But. I, I just think things have changed with the gray shirting and the mid-year enrollees. I just think it, it kind of throws a guy like Marshawn Lloyd, perhaps, perhaps it, it, it pushes him back where he he would have potentially been the starter day one, and I don't know if he can still do that without a spring. Yeah, that's interesting comments. And, and I, you know, the one good thing that he does have going for him is that he's at a position that he can come in and play right away. I think if he was an offensive lineman, it would be much, much tougher now for him. Uh, but being a running back, I, I don't think it's going to be as difficult from him from a run the football standpoint. Now it may be if you're, you know, trying to block and set up, you know, you pick up blitzes and those type things that he's probably not real familiar with right now. But in terms of running the football, I, you know, that he plays a position where young guys can come in and play right away. Um, so, you know, while I do think and I do agree with you that it does hurt him somewhat, I still think with what South Carolina's got returning, to me, he looks like a day one starter. What about you? When you were playing, could you have done it? Could you have started kind of, you know, no spring or anything, which you wouldn't have had, I'm guessing. You would have gone, you know, high school all the way through, played right. the whole basketball season, gone to the prom, just like 99% of, of America does. And then yeah. you came in, and I, I, I doubt in the 70s you would have started day one, but could you have, you know, physically and kind of just knowing what was going on out there? 
Well, the game's changed now from when I played. Uh, you know, it was more of a – not to say that they didn't throw the ball because obviously, you know, when, in my days you had uh, Dan Fouts who threw the ball all over the field uh, with the Chargers. But it was much more run-oriented with most, most teams. Um, but I, I think when you talk about um, a high school kid coming in without any, any training, let's say, or, or any, any past background – and stepping in in the fall to be a immediate starter, I, I don't see it without having to go through spring practice. I, you know, there are exceptions, of course, and we, you know, we we could say, heck, Jadavian Clowney didn't start, you know, when he stepped on campus, he didn't even start his his rookie year here at Carolina, um, or his first year. So, you you have to, um, I think you have to have exposure to the game. The game is different now. Uh, it's more of a wide open game, but they, they, these players, in my opinion, I still think you need a spring football practice in order to make a much more positive impact. I know as I was, when I came here, I, I felt like I was very talented, but it's a different level of football than you play in high school. And you just have to adjust to the speed of the game at every level. I mean, I remember when I, got here to Carolina, I thought, wow, this game's faster than high school. And then when I left and went to pro football, I said, wow, this game's faster than college football is. Uh, so the speed of the game, I think, is what the biggest problem most players have adapting to. Speaking of which, now I'll, I'll take you on a little journey here, Rick. The other day, I was on Locked On Giants. And the reason I was, I was on with Patricia, and, and she was terrific. And I encourage everybody, if you like the NFL, start, you know, hey, it's like Rick said, we're watching old sports. We're trying new things. So go to the Locked On Podcast Network, lockedonpodcast.com. Try out some NFL podcasts to go along with this one. But we were talking, she asked me after we talked about everything about Gamecocks potentially being drafted, Javon Kinlaw, how Brian Edwards would fit in the NFL, Rico Dattle, Tavian Peaster, all those things. She said, well, who's up and coming for South Carolina? And that question really stumped me, Rick. Like, in other words, who will, be, who will we be talking about in 2021? Now, I said J.C. Horn, maybe Ernest Jones is an NFL player, but the other guys for South Carolina that I thought were NFL guys maybe were probably at least a couple years away, like Zach Pickens or Jordan Birch yeah. or uh, Marshawn Lloyd, potentially, maybe Shai Smith, but that really stumped me when I thought about it. South Carolina, we keep hearing what a great job they've done in recruiting. And I don't, I'm not going to doubt that they have. But what do you think? What do you think about like the NFL talent on this roster? Well, that's a great question. And it, I, think it, I think it's yet to be seen, quite honestly. I, I don't know. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't pick out one guy that I would say, oh, yeah, that's an immediate star in the NFL right now. I, I, so it, it is a great question you're asking. Um, the one standout guy, if you had to pick one just right off the top of your head right now, you'd probably have to think, well, maybe Ryan Helensky might be that guy because, you know, he's had a year of seasoning under um, uh, our spring and, 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 and the off season as well under Mike Bobo. And then when he comes back, he's had that, He's had that experience in the past. If he applies what Mike Bobo wants him to do, then I think he's got an excellent chance to stand out next year. 
the real problem that I have with with Ryan Alinsky is is this is he really going to be the starting quarterback? I would I would have to think that this coronavirus has has helped him because Luke Doty, as good as they said he looked in the in the uh, spring, uh, you can't throw Luke Doty out there. I don't think as a true freshman and say okay, read those defenses and tell me what we're going to do. I just I just don't see that happening now. So I think it's Ryan Helinski's team to sink or swim with. That is an excellent point, Rick. So I was talking about Marshawn Lloyd and perhaps Jordan Birch down the road. But yeah, Luke Doty, it's going to be so hard for someone now to wrestle that starting job away because the coaches won't even have seen you that often, right? You will have just gotten some some fall practices if everything stays the same. Well, the coaches even have the confidence. Even if it looks like you could win the job, they might not have seen enough to give you the job, right? Well, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I just don't – I think it's going to be extremely difficult for, you know, barring injury, of which, you know, uh, Ryan Helensky was a beneficiary of that last year. But barring injury to Ryan Helensky, I, I have a hard time believing that Luke Doty is going to be the starting quarterback here next year. And, you know, as that goes, Smitty, uh, starting quarterbacks, um, you know, they, they get a lot of the credit, but they also get a lot of the – uh, of the blame, and uh, while I do think that Helensky had a good year last year, I think he can be a lot better if he does, you know, refines a lot of his techniques and downhill throwing, but I think that had to do with the way he was throwing the football off ballots, um, you know, um, just just not reading right coverages at times. So I do think that Helensky, you know, has great potential here. If, if, if this team wins a lot of football games, in my opinion, I think Ryan Helensky is going to have to perform really, really good for that to happen. That is amazing, the impact that potentially, you know, not having a spring could have on, like, South Carolina's starting quarterback position or starting running back yeah, position. Exactly. So, all right, Rick, a couple more topics I want to hit, and they're both they're both kind of NFL-centric. One, let's hey, let's zero in on you because, uh, you know, people may not understand this, and so you can kind of explain it, but the new CBA is, is, has been signed, mm-hmm. and – so we kind of we've all been following the news, and this is going to affect you and a lot of other, you know, former Gamecocks that are either in the NFL or have played in the NFL. Like if you bumped into say George Rogers, you guys could have a conversation about how this affects you because you both put in, I think, at least seven years in the NFL. So that CBA that they've signed, what what's what's good about it? What's What's perhaps not great about it? How does it affect former players and former Gamecocks like you? And why do some players not like it? Well, I, I, let's go first with why did some players not like it. Most of the players that didn't like the CBA here, the, the new one that has just been signed, were guys that had already made their money. Uh, you, they were probably the upper echelon players in the league. Most people don't realize that the NFL predominantly – because I really didn't realize this, but predominantly the NFL is made up from third to fifth round draft picks. And those guys don't make the money initially what those guys like the, you know, the Tom Brady, the Aaron Rodgers, the Richard Shermans, and and those guys that were somewhat against it, the superstar players who've already cashed in on big, big, huge contracts. <clears throat> they felt like if they waited, 
that group of players said that if they would wait, they thought they would get more of a piece of the pie than what they ended up getting. I think they ended up getting like 47, 48% of the gross. Um, so, you know, that being said, there'll be a chance for that to increase in the coming years based upon what the TV contract is going to be uh, with the owners. Uh, the owners wanted this deal done, obviously, because they wanted to have labor peace where they could go to their potential uh, networks and say, look, we're not going to have any work stoppages now. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. So they felt like they could get a better deal with the networks knowing that. So, um, but, but that was the main thing for the rank and file players, uh, which make up the NFL. I personally feel this was an excellent deal for them. Uh, they increased their salaries by between 90 and a hundred thousand dollars a year on average. Um, and for the, uh, retired players, uh, it gets very complicated when you go back to the retired players, but my group of retired players is different than guys that retired 10 years ago because they made some adjustments for those guys under the last CBA agreement. Well, under this CBA agreement, thankfully, the, uh, the, the, the uh, management of the players somewhat took care of my group of, uh, of guys and guys that are even older than me by increasing the pensions uh, and also um, helping out with um, health retirement accounts as well as finding, um, you know, designating hospitals now across the country where uh, guys can go and get, you know, mental health screenings and um, uh, care for orthopedic type difficulties and problems. So, there will be hospitals all across the U.S. that that will be designated that that you know that the NFL will be responsible, you know, for uh, um, treating players and in, in my group of guys, I guess. So, from that respect, I thought the NFL finally uh, stepped up to the plate, uh, the management and the owners. And and but but let's not kid ourselves, you know, the you know that group of guys is is. <laughs> Uh, a very select group of people. There's only 32 of them, uh, really 31 if you take the Green Bay Packers who publicly are owned. So, um, you know, you, those guys are, are looking to make a good deal for you. They're looking to make a good deal for themselves. Uh, but due to all the negative publicity, uh, I think that they got uh, in the past and also the negative publicity that they've gotten with the concussion crisis and, and the health related problems of former players and the, and the safety of the game nowadays, I do feel like that maybe, just maybe, they've turned the corner uh, somewhat uh, when you look at this. And if, if I were advising the owners, and you just kind of hit on it, for me, the key for the owners is just keep it going. Because then the television money rolls in, don't have any work stoppages. And even though you may not make the big money year to year, what happens? The value of your franchise continues to go up. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any doubt. And, and, and you know, they sh look at the, the, the shared revenue that they, the owners get out of this thing. Well, the players, there's, there's a lot fewer owners than there are players. And the, and the owners get, still are getting 52, 53% of the, of the gross money uh, coming in. Uh, as well. And yeah, yes, I understand they have expenses. I, I get that. But uh, their expenses, it, 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 let's be honest, look at the value of most of these teams, Smitty. And um, it, it, it blow your mind when you when you look at a, 
you know, what what a Robert Kraft was able to buy the New England Patriots for something like $172 million, and now they're worth, what, $1.6 billion? So, you know, people like that, you know, and, and if you look at the certain franchises, um, I mean, it's it's beyond belief of how these these teams have, have escalated in value. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the less worse stoppages that those guys have, the more money that just keeps pouring in for them. All right, so that kind of leads me to the next part, which is, so I, I don't know if there was anything actually that changed for the, the new draftees that are coming in. I know a few years ago, like right after Sam Bradford was the last before the new rookie scale went into effect. So well, let's start talking about the draft a little bit because that's kind of the, the next sports event on our calendar. That's all we've got is the mm-hmm. NFL draft. So uh, you can tell me whether it affected anybody and then tell me what you expect for Javon Kinlaw what type mm-hmm. of situation he might fit into because, um, you know, 4-3 and 3-4 could be different. And I've heard that he could play anywhere in a 3-4 alignment on the, you know, on the, as, as a down lineman in the middle. And then the 4-3, yeah. obviously, you know, you have different techniques. You have the three technique and all of that. So anyway, maybe you can explain some of that to us, how you think Javon Kenlaw's NFL career goes where he'll be drafted, and why he'd be drafted there. Well, I think, I think Ken Law, as I told you, I think somewhere between around number 10 to number 24 somewhere, and it, I think it depends on the team needs and what the team wants. I've, I've, uh, I have seen him as high as number, I think, number nine to the uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I've seen him number 16 to the Atlanta Falcons, and I've also seen him, uh, at about number, I can't think of which team it was, but it was around number 24, 25, somewhere in there. Uh, it just really depends, Smitty. I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, he's going to get drafted here and here. A lot of it has to do with where other guys fall in the draft and where that team had the projection of who they had on their board, and all of a sudden that guy's gone. There's a real science behind it, and the really good teams – are the ones that I admire are always the ones that pick toward the end of the first round. That's why I've always admired how the Patriots have remained competitive because they always pick at the end of the first round, you know, and, um, you know, and you take teams like the Steelers, the same thing. Those teams are picking later. Uh, and, 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 uh, it, it's, it's, it's something to be admired. And, and I think when you look at, at Ken law in terms of his future, I think it'll be pretty much up to him. I think if he keeps himself in good shape and, you know, barring injury, he should have an excellent football career, particularly uh, if he gets into the right system. A lot of it is system, though. I can I can honestly tell you that. Look at what happened today. You know, you look at Hayden Hurst you know, getting traded out of, out of Baltimore after, what, two or three years there, uh, traded uh, down to Atlanta. Uh, so I, I think uh, a lot of it will, will – be based upon how you know how he takes care of himself is he if he stays physically fit a lot of these guys get their money and then they kind of let themselves go and I don't think Javon Kenlaw can afford to do that and I don't think he will but uh, I mean you you see it all the time Smitty there always are some bust in the first round I don't anticipate he's going to be a bust I just wonder how really good he's going to be though all right, well, well, let's play this game. I'll give you three more names, and you give me yes or no. You anticipate them being on an NFL roster when NFL yeah. season starts. Sure. Tavian Feaster. Uh, I'll say yes. 
Uh, and the reason I think he'll make it is um, he's he's uh, valuable because he can catch the football out of the backfield. Uh, he may not be a you know uh, a top draft choice, uh, but I do think that he's got talent, and I do think he's uh, got NFL talent and can in the right fit that he can he can be a good fit for somebody. So I'll say yes with him. Brian Edwards. I've seen differing stories on Brian Edwards. I, I think that, you know, I thought initially that he was a maybe a fifth, sixth-round draft pick. I've seen him now as high as the third round, and he hasn't even had to perform, you know, at the, um, at the combines and all. So, you know, somewhat if you get drafted in around the third round or so, the chances of you sticking around two or three years at least – are pretty good, so I'll say yes with him. I, he, he does, I do think he's going to have to be an inside slot receiver, though. I don't see him as an outside threat. All right, last one, Rico Dowdle. Rico's an interesting thing. He's you know he's got great ability. Um, he just has so many problems staying healthy. And in that game, if you can't stay healthy, you can't make it. You know, that the old, you can't make the club in the tub, and, and, and that applies to Rico Dowdle, I think. When he is healthy, he is a dynamic football player, I think. When he's not healthy, um, you can't help a club. I'll put a question mark with him. I don't want to say no, but I don't want to say yes either because I, I just don't know if he can keep himself healthy. And plus, he does lack downfield speed. I don't think he has burner speed downfield, which, you know, a lot of these clubs look for. So uh, while I'm not going to say yes or no, I, I do think he does have a really good chance to make a club.